You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and today we are joined by the man with his crystal ball who's going to give us all of the answers that we truly want, the prophet himself, Abby. <laughs> What's going on, buddy? The voice of certainty, as I like to be called. <laughs> the voice of certainty. <laughs> yeah, that's it's true. Because the episode title is Embracing Uncertainty. That's right. I was going to yeah. say today is a, a episode that you know we're we're truly experts in. We're going to share everything we know about the topic of not knowing. <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, experts in not knowing things. It's certain. That, that's how me much I don't know. Exactly. Right. <laughs> The one thing I'm certain of is how little I know. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm, uh, you know, I'm actually it, it's it's mixed right now. Okay. Uh, for for a ton of for a ton of reasons, right? You no, know, um, you, you live in Toronto, so you, you obviously understand this. There's still though we're still dealing with the whole pandemic, et cetera, all that fun stuff. The mm-hmm. markets have been, in general just a roller coaster of, of late, like the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm not just talking about the, the cannabis market, but the broader markets as well. So that's right. weighed in quite a bit. And then uh, I'm finding that I'm putting in a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. Putting in a lot mm-hmm. of hours, but I'm not getting the results that I want. Like I'm, I feel, I feel busy, but unproductive. Mm. And know? yeah. And, and uh, I, I guess the, you know, relating back to kind of, are you talking about cannabis investing or investing in general? Cannabis investing, cannabis right. investing. And, and it relates back to basically this episode. Which is the idea of like uncertainty, right? But in, in particular, and we'll talk about sentiment later, but the, the idea that when markets are going down or flat in general, and they're not going up, you know, people don't, don't feel the same reward of putting the work in. Yeah, right? you don't, don't get that euphoria. Exactly, and that's what you're. That's what Abby's looking for. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. You know, I, I yeah, I feel the exact opposite right now. Very unproductive. Right. Um, you feel the despair. The despair. Yeah. It was. It was mm-hmm. funny. I was talking to somebody, and uh, he uh, this this person he's a friend of mine. He made a really funny joke. He's like, "Oh, you must feel like Canada right now. You know, your unemployment rate is going down, but your GDP is staying the same." He's like, "You've got a more inefficient workforce." Anyways, I found it pretty funny. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Well, the the. I'll go through the agenda here today, right? But it's it's the inspiration of this episode, which is kind of a general market update. But it it relates to uh, an episode of uh, Howard Marks's podcast that came out recently, and I think it was actually a, a like a old memo that he wrote that he was kind of reintroducing. And the idea was there's really two camps of investors out there. There's the a whole side of investing who knows everything. And they'll always tell you, this is what's going to happen. This is why it's happening. This is how it's happening. And this is when it's going to happen. And there's a an, an, an different camp, which Howard Marks feels he belongs to, which is I don't know. And the I don't know camp is basically like, you know, we no one really knows. No one has any idea what's going to happen or when it's going to happen or why things are happening. But what we try to do is have these theories. And then we try to figure out, you know, what do these theories mean? How likely are they? And, and then they just keep adjusting. So you never really know, but you're always trying to just make these educated guesses and you're trying to 
adjust accordingly. And I think that's very fitting for kind of what's going on in cannabis today. And we'll talk about, you know, various ideas, whether it's, um, you know, human psychology, whether it's uh, federal change, whether it's market sentiment, whether it's, you know, fundamentals within the markets and just the ways in which we don't know, but the theories that we have and how we try to adjust and invest accordingly. Yeah. And, you know, I, I will say originally, you know, when, when, when I was very young, when I first started investing, I was probably under the uh, under the uh, the realm of I know everything type totally. of investments, right? Uh, and and it's funny the older you get, the the longer you start investing, the more humbled you you quickly become. And um, you know, cannabis is one that's definitely humbled me. Yeah, I mean, look, this goes back to a theme we've we've touched on is that you know it, it's about history rhyming, right? And what we're experiencing now in 2021 is very similar to what. Abby, you and I were there for it on the front lines in 2019. And in 2019, you know, the year started out great for cannabis and it just took a turn. And for six, eight months, we just continually kind of kept going down and, and it eventually bottomed out with the COVID lows of March 2020. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's when things started to turn around. But in a word, Abby, you nailed it. it. It was a very humbling experience. It was a really good experience for us as investors to to learn about volatility and never thinking you knew exactly what was going to happen next. Yeah, one one thing I do want to say about that, but that that mark and why this is very different than you know it. Like I think you hit it, you hit it right on the head. History uh, doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it rhymes, right? And so this is sort of. Um, a rhyme that mm-hmm. uh, of 2019, but mm-hmm. the one thing that I would say different, or one one thing when I was thinking back about 2019, was that we were always looking at number, like there was there was no compelling numbers at right. the time. There were no profitable companies. Now we're seeing profitable companies, and I'm like, look, these companies should be worth a lot more. Why aren't they? Why aren't they? And obviously, you know, that's where that ar- that that opportunity really comes in is mm-hmm. when the fundamentals decouple from the prices this much, and you do make those investments in the long term, you will get re-rated. Um, I'm just like, man, you know, it's already been four months, you know, it's not long enough. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was funny too, because, uh, and by the way, give credit, truly was profitable back in 19 and they were cash flowing, but they were basically the only one. But just, just to think about how far back 2019 was, that was the year we started this podcast. And we used to do episodes talking about, here's why we like MSOs. You know, Canada's kind of interesting, but we like extractors more. Um, and you know, the amount of hate we would get from people who were like, why are you talking about US companies when a free and canopy are so much better? Right. And I mean, think about how much the market has evolved in terms of general knowledge in only one year. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of the the themes also of today. You know, Kim Rivers did an interview recently where she talked about zoom out. You know, when you're looking at the stock, the, the chart of our stock, zoom out and look at how much progress we've made in a few years. I would encourage everybody to, to zoom out on not just the charts, but the entire industry. And, you know, us being on year, like, I think this is year five or something of cannabis investing. uh, If you zoom out and take a broader view, there's some really encouraging stuff in here that you can get lost in, uh, in the day to day. You know, if, if I zoom out, I'm just, I'm I'm trying to think as as you're trying to, if if I zoom out, it's just like an awful chart. I wish all my charts for you, for you like personally. Truly... You're saying, yeah, yeah, your, yeah, yeah. Your... yeah. Me, me personally, me personally. <laughs> so I mean, because you know, because you know, it's like, oh, like zoom out, take a broader perspective. I get what she's saying, right? So she's saying, look, look, look in the long term. Look, look at what we've done so far. Don't be so fixated on on the nitty gritty, right? The broad strokes of the sector are still extremely compelling. 
Um, but but also the progress. I, I mean, if you think about how much has happened, so let's let's we're, we're going to talk about you know uh, safe and and the NDAA and the fantastic interview by the way, Abby, you did with with JP last week. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, he was uh, he was a great guest to have on. And um, Jason, if you're listening, kudos, brother. Yeah, our our political correspondent. <laughs> yeah, our political correspondent. Yeah, exactly. Our voice from the hill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but but you know, it was so, so fascinating to think about because when you th- you know people are getting really mad at Booker and Schumer and and how long it's taking them to make progress on their big cannabis bill, right? But again, if you just zoom out, if you go back one year ago, so just think about how long a year feels. I mean, a year ago we were pre. The 2020 election, right? Trump was still president. Cannabis stocks were actually in a huge slump until the VP debate. Um, and Schumer was was kind of campaigning saying, hey, if the Dems win, we're going to be uh, progressive on cannabis. But I was like, yeah, who, but do I really believe him? I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. And then they won the two Senate seats and he came in. And in February, that was one of the first things he was talking about, having a big legalization bill, right? And it was like, wow, this is really, really bullish. But- mm-hmm. This stuff takes time. It's complicated. It's not going to happen overnight. And so seven months later, here we are. And here's a guy who's saying, I don't want to just pass a banking bill. I want to fight and I want to try to pass a huge, broad bill, even though it has very little chance. But I want to fight on the issue. I want people to have to come out against me and say, no, I don't want to legalize a super popular um, you know, thing like cannabis. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you, when you just, my point is, Abby, is if you zoom out on that, like if you told me a year ago, that we were going to have a champion in the Senate pushing a, a huge cannabis legalization bill, I would be like, man, you're being way too optimistic. Like there's there's no way or like, uh, you know, uh, I would say that there's a very slim chance that we would see that come to fruition. Right. And yet and yet now people are mad because he wants to go so big. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, it, it goes back to the whole embrace the uncertainty, right? There's and going back and looking a year back, seeing the progress that we've made. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of agree with the people and being mad about pushing this bill that's so big. Mm-hmm. It's like, why don't we, you know, not not to use too many like sports analogies or anything there, but like, like, you know, if you if you watch football, it's like mm-hmm. in order to actually, you know, win a game of football, mm-hmm. um, you got to score as many touchdowns, right? And how, sure. do, how do you how do you do that? You go inch by inch, yeah, as opposed to yard by yard, right? Sure. The saying goes, "Inch by inch, life is a cinch. Yard by yard, life is hard." Mm-hmm. Um, and he should take that and you know get this pass. This will this will help me in my portfolio. <laughs> well, <I'm laughs> glad which, you- if you listen to the last episode, yes. Jason specifically says he does not care about your portfolio, specifically Abby's portfolio. He, he was <laughs> talking to me. He looked me directly in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> that's good i know i'm glad you said that because that is you know we're gonna get in today the reality of investing and this is a comment we got from you know p mitch who's a longtime listener and p mitch said hey like i love when you guys talk about the numbers and talk about things i don't normally hear about but you know sometimes you guys talk about investor psychology and i hear about that all the time i don't think it's that important right and i, I you know i said to him listen i respectfully disagree like I think the numbers matter a lot. I think fundamental analysis matters a lot, but you really need to understand human psychology and you need to understand, you know, the ups and downs that make markets swing. And that's especially important in our space with the volatility. So, you know, if you just think about what Abby said, like, right, that's not me. It's (laughs) if you, but if you think about what Abby just said, like, it's actually very relevant. It's like you can have all these ideas, but ultimately a lot of people are just impatient. They're like, give me my gains. Pass the thing that's going to help um, my portfolio go up, right? And and so 
we'll talk about you know the NDA and strategy later, but it's important to understand that people are kind of getting fed up because they bought the stocks in February at an all-time high, thinking legalization was going to happen in two months. But it's just not reality. Yeah. And so, Manish, you know, just like you said, if you go back one year, there's been a tremendous amount of progress that's been made, right? Like, for example, if somebody had, just using your example here, if somebody had come up to you and said, hey, listen, you know, there's not going to be just a person who's going to be pushing uh, cannabis from a capital markets perspective, but they want to completely redo the entire, like, the entire leg- legislation. You know, you'd be like, you're out to lunch, buddy. What I'm trying to say is that give the people something, you know, pass the capital markets provision, then worry about the bigger issue. Because once that, because in my opinion, once that passes, then you're going to see a lot more money, money flood in. And then uh, sort of what Jason was alluding to, maybe you'll start seeing proper lobbying happen. And then it might be even easier for you to get that broader social justice part uh, passed as well. Yeah, look, uh, again, and again, again, this is why I love having JP on is because it's important to know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, you and I and a lot of other people in the cannabis space can have these discussions, but it's like you need somebody who actually has experience in the machinations of how to get things done on the hill mm-hmm. that to give you the context of like, look, guys, like they're working on this big bill, the CAOA. The goal is not to pass that bill. I mean, they would love to, but they can't, right? But the goal is to take that out and fight on it, to push mm-hmm. that, get the, get that on the agenda, have people debate and discuss and nip and tuck it, and then at the end of the day, pass what they know they can pass. And they know they can pass safe, and they'll probably have a plus on it. Like Then the plus will probably be something related to you know clemency of, of um, prior drug, drug convictions or like some kind of element of not just being about it's all about the money like right. some some element of of making the world a better place and and can um fixing convictions that shouldn't have been there in the first place so i it, yeah you know i take your point abby yeah we want something today but we also are being you know pretty impatient with a, a brand new senate and saying you know hey just get this done today it's like that probably is going to be the path but it's probably not going to happen you know, as fast as we want it to happen. And it's a very over, it's, a, it's an extremely complicated issue as well, right? I kind of just, you know, I, I was kind of thinking like, you know, if they've, you know, if you, if you can take an inch, why try to go for the whole mile? But I, I see both sides of it. Um, and Jason, Jason did a great job explaining sort of how the psychology and the thought process and what actually goes on in the Hill, right? So it kind of did open my eyes to that too. Totally. And going back to this theme of like not knowing, like how many times did he say, I don't know and nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And I think those are so critical because when you start out in investing, and one of the things with this space is we get a lot of new investors, people who've never invested in anything before, right? And me, like I was I'm a I am a commercial real estate guy, but I'd never really got into the stock market before I got into this industry in 2017. And there's so much to learn, and we continue to learn every day. But the more you do it, the more you realize like People who who are in it, who are knee deep in it, they say, I don't know. They're always like, look, I'm not sure, but here's what I'm thinking. Then the newer people, they gravitate towards the people who are like, this is exactly what's going to happen. Mark down your calendar on this date. This is what you're going to see happen. And they eat that up because it's a very simplistic black or white kind of thing. Um, and by the way, it's what you see a lot on the news too. Like when you when t- talk about the market, like this is what happened. This is why it happened. This is what's going to happen next. Whereas when you say, I don't know, uh, there's a lot of nuance in there. You have to start thinking about things in terms of probabilities and not black and white outcomes. And it's 
it's very freeing to say, I don't know, but it's also very scary because then you go, well, nobody really knows. So then when you realize, you know, the giant amounts of money are being moved around the world every day by Mm -hmm. people who don't know, right, then you start kind of getting nervous about it. But that is the game of investing. And that is the whole challenge is figuring out what the most likely outcomes are, what that would lead to, and then asking yourself, am I being paid appropriately for the amount of risk that I'm taking? Yeah, for sure. And in this sector, it's extremely difficult to sort of quantify that, you know? Sure. I mean, in any sector, I guess it's difficult to, right? But the- yeah, that's that's true. That's true. I, I will say, you know, um, ha- having listened to, to 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 that Howard Marks um, memo podcast as well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of my lines, one of my favorite things that he said, which you which you touched on, was that when you listen to the pundits on CNBC, etc., or any any newscast that talk about the market, the level of certainty that they speak with, and he is somebody who's you know proven himself over and over. Uh, for, with, with Oak Tree, and he when he comes out and says he's like I, I don't know if that actually if that was a real reason for why the markets actually moved, but you know it's it's plausible, but there could be a million other scenarios that could have right. happened, right? Um, that to me resonated well, especially in in cannabis, um, mm-hmm. because you're you're right. We don't know. We we see a big price movement. We look back and say, oh well, this happened because of A, B, and C. But did it actually? Right. There's no way to be be 100 percent certain, right? That, that's a great point. And look, people, like in terms of human psychology, people look to the market as the ultimate barometer of if something is good or bad. So if you have an, if your earnings come out and your stock goes up, that means your earnings were great. Your stock goes down means your earnings were bad, right? And we, we just know that's not true. I mean, if you think about especially more illiquid markets that can be easily pumped up and pumped down, and you think about even like MSOS, which we'll talk about later, but the way their buying patterns work and the way they kind of mess the market up at the end of the day for everybody. uh, It should just be obvious at this point that what the tape does minute to minute should not be guiding you. It should not be the one telling, like you shouldn't, you know, you might look at it and say, Hey, the the stock's moving. What's up? Is something, is there something I missed? But just because something's up, it's not just because something's going doesn't mean there's a reason for it. Hmm. That's a tough one to, you know that that one I think requires a little bit more thought and uh, before I debate you on that one. Just because something's going up doesn't mean that there's a reason for it. Just because something's going up or down, that's not. I'll give you an example. When when uh, th- there was that safe discussion happening, I think two weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, the market started had a day where it started shooting up. Right, it was on CNBC and all that stuff. And so a friend of mine messaged me and said, "Look, the stocks are up seven to ten percent in two days. The market must know something." <laughs> it's like, well, look, like, again, the market is not the ultimate truth teller. It's, again, it's it's going back to that old thing. It's it's not a really measuring market fundamentals. It's a graph of rich people's emotions. So when it's, <laughs> when you see it jumping 10% in two days, that means people are getting excited about it, right? Yeah. And that could mean absolutely nothing other than people are getting excited about something which is probably not going to happen. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So let, let's go on to actually getting into kind of applying this to safe, right? And so um, I want to, first of all, just just give some credit to three guys who I think really started this conversation and and got it on people's radars. And that is uh, Brady Cobb, Todd Harrison, uh, and Jeff Schultz. And and these three guys have done a lot of work in terms of kind of educating uh, the general public and and the the average investor on sort of the process and what's happening. And, And you know, these three guys have very nuanced thought leadership on a variety of issues, but especially kind of legislative change issues. And what happens, though, and, and this is about understanding kind of the market, is that 
you know, they do an hour long town hall conversation on like, hey, no one's really paying attention to this, but um, we could have safe being inserted inside of kind of broader bills, um, in this case, the NDAA. And then that could be a mechanism of how it gets passed. Right. And, you know, that's very exciting and that's an opportunity everyone's ignoring. And just the nature of, you know, how we consume media, whether it's it's Reddit or Twitter or CNBC, is that nuanced message gets reduced down into something very binary and black and white. Mm -hmm. And so that hour long conversation with all the ifs, ands or buts gets reduced down into, hey, safe is going to pass through the NDAA. Buckle up. Right. And it's kind of like the equivalent of, you know, when you're reading articles, you're reading just a headline, right? That's what the pundits on whatever, whatever news station that you're watching, mm-hmm. um, they're re- reducing it down to. But if you had listened to the entire town hall, you'd have realized, okay, well, this could happen. This could not necessarily happen. Um, and, and that and that does get lost. That gets lost in translation because, you know, it's tough to put that in 140 characters. It Totally. Right. And And again, like this is one thing we've really learned a lot from doing this podcast and the fact that we post the episodes online and we see what gets traction and what doesn't get traction. And in general, what I've learned is that people are always ready to absorb and reshare positive information that gives them what they're looking for, right? I mean, Abby, you said it perfectly at the beginning of the episode. I just want my portfolio to go up, right? That's what we're all in this for. We're looking, we're trying to make money. But so when a headline gets posted and it says safe is getting passed through the NDAA, people get very excited about that. And it was like, I think it had eight of the top posts on Reddit, for example, were that. And then not like not even a day later when Senators Booker and Schumer came out and said, hey, we're actually we don't want to do it that way. That got very little love. That Mm -hmm. got very little attention. So there's just this you have to understand the media you're consuming um, even when it comes from really like smart and nuanced people, the platform is such that it gets reduced down into something uh, which skews to be very positive and skews to be very simplistic. Legislative change is back. It's happening. You know, get ready for it. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, now you're in the I know school, right? Now you're in the, hey, this is about to happen. The I don't know school is like, well, I don't know. This seems kind of complicated. And are they really going to do this ahead of the CAOA and that kind of stuff. But what I'm getting to is that when you say, I don't know, and you take the more nuanced view, it really helps you from stopping making big mistakes in your portfolio. Because when you think you know something and you you push all your chips in, that's typically when you take a lot of risk. Yeah, exactly. And you know, let's go back, sorry, just, just what you said there about the media that you're consuming. Um, one thing that I would say because that you know this happened last week. So even when I was going through like some of the Reddit posts and or the the, the Reddit feeds that I get, um, when Safe was included in the NDAA, all that stuff. You're right; it was all consuming and everything. And when um, when 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 all when when everything came out saying that it possibly might not have been, I think it did show up in my feed, and I just sort of overlooked it. So it kind of goes <laughs> back to the point of what you're saying. Well, no, because like I'm biasly trying to be like, okay, totally. you know, what's going to help me over here? Right. Totally, totally. And and to expand on that, I mean, this happens to me all the time when you have an investment that you really like, okay, like I'm swimming in so much Verano right now, it's like a huge position for me, and I keep adding to it. Um, and 
your brain just has a way of looking for confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. Like this is not something that you or I are immune to. I mean, it's something we live and we lived through in 2019, especially. And it and so you have to actively seek out information that pokes holes in your theories. And you have to like really let yourself absorb it properly instead of just kind of tucking it under the rug. Yeah. And something that you've done really well that I've started to adopt in my investment thesis as well is, you know, what if I'm wrong? Or what if this doesn't work out? You know, mm-hmm. going in with the negative thesis saying like, hey, I really like this, but let's disprove it as opposed to proving it. That sort of helped me see more, you know, I've, I've been looking at certain markets uh, recently, sp- cannabis specific with states. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you talk to a couple of people and, and we'll, we'll touch on this later on the episode about, regarding sentiment. But um, going in with the lens of, you know, what if I'm wrong? really opens your eye i find so if you know if anyone if, if you guys are doing your own due diligence like take that pers- take that pers- uh, approach right and i think jason had it the best because he was the first person who reached out saying well what if safe never passes or what if uplisting never happens i think is what he what he asked right right, right. And, and and yeah jp was the one who a couple of episodes ago we answered the question like hey what if uplisting takes years and years and years right like mm-hmm. like we you know five six plus years um, and these stocks just keep getting better and better, but they just get no love on the OTC, mm-hmm. right? Like, like what if that, and, and if you remember, my answer was, look, I'm not going to tell you it can't happen. I think it's a low probability because I think in a low growth world, stocks trading at, you know, sub five times EBITDA at growth stocks, especially is really, really juicy. So I think it's a low probability that happens, but if it happens, okay, let's walk it through, right? At what point do they start buying back their own stock? Like at mm-hmm. what, you know, like where does this go? Like at what point do, you know, the the um, other like NASDAQ listed companies start finding ways to invest in them, sort of like a Tilray MedMen type of deal. And and so, you know, you kind of walk through like, hey, I think it's a low probability, but let's talk about it, mm-hmm. right? And, and, I, and that becomes, again, to me, that's a lot healthier of a way to invest than just being like, no, that'll never happen. Well, the funny thing was I actually asked a lot of, I mean, investment professionals. I was going to say I'm using air quotes, but I'm not using air quotes because they were actually investment <laughs> professionals. These guys have dedicated their whole lives mm-hmm. to capital markets. And some of them have, you know, very, very, very become extremely dialed in and sector specific to cannabis. And they were saying no chance. Um, if, if that doesn't happen, I wouldn't even, I, he said, I, they said, I wouldn't even factor that into my, uh, into my model or into my portfolio, mm-hmm. um, because eventually it'll hit cri- critical mass, right? Free market capital is like the, the free market tells us that eventually if a company is doing so well, it's going to become extremely attractive. People are going to find ways to sort of, um, invest. And, you know, that to me sa- says a lot about people who are really, really, really like, uh, dialed in just to cannabis, um, because they see the opportunity within cannabis. But what, and then and I asked them this and I said, you know, what about other sectors? Like, you know, the people who are really dialed into cannabis may not necessarily be looking at other sectors and the capital totally. might find an easier, the path of least resistance, right? That's one of the, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the properties of, of money is if you ever study any finance book, they always talk about that. Um, it always looks for something that's safe. And so like I said, wouldn't money just go in, to a safer investment that's legal. And then it sort of had them thinking as well, right? So that just kind of further reinforces what we're talking about here is that the two schools of thoughts, you know, you got to choose which one you want to kind of go through. Um, But it's very important to sort of look at both sides of the coin, right? Like, what if this doesn't happen? What, like, what, what am I missing? What don't I know? Yeah. And what, what am I missing is a, my, one of my favorite things to ask people, right? Is I'll, I'll ask people, 
what am I missing on X, Y, Z name, right? Why don't you like it? Or if you do like it, like what, what worries you about the stock? Mm-hmm. Right? And even asking the companies like, hey, what's, what's the riskiest part of this company, right? And seeing what kind of answer they give you. I mean, it, 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 this is all, all this is to say, um, this idea of as, as you embrace the uncertainty in this industry, I think what you will find is that in general, you're getting paid pretty well for the risks that we're taking. And, and the upside that we, you know, we kind of know is baked in. And this time I use no, you know, no is baked in when you turn on New Jersey, when you turn on New York. Um, obviously, there's some stuff we don't know yet, but uh, it looks very, very promising on those, right? So I would bet very heavily that every store in New Jersey that's able to go wreck uh, is going to do exceptionally well, like 20 plus million dollar stores, right? As long as, and if you can understand the operator behind it and their history of, you know, running stores successfully, like that's all very positive, right? So, so things like that, I feel are not being priced into the stocks and that's very appealing. Um, Abby, maybe you want to touch on here. It's good, good time maybe to switch gears and talk about sentiment in the market. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, here actually, that that's a a great time to touch on it. Let's talk about that New Jersey example that you just used. You know, um, to say okay, like, look, New Jersey is gonna you you feel given everything that's happened, New Jersey seems very attractive. You think the stores are gonna do this? My question to you will be: Is do you think that's gonna trickle down to the capital markets, right? Um, and do, and how long is that gonna take? Like, of course, it will trickle down to the capital markets in the long run, but how long is that gonna take? All right, because look at the last earnings season we just had. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was probably the best earnings season we've ever seen. Actually, it was the best earnings season we've ever sure. seen. Um, but the stocks didn't move. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, so a couple of things to think about, right? So um, one is if you look at New Jersey, like when New Jersey comes online, um, there's a very limited amount of stores in New Jersey. So it's 12 operators, three stores each, 36. And not every store will get to go wreck right away too. There's There's a bit of a you know, game going on right now with municipalities going wreck. So you're going to have supply shortages. Um, you know, so it, it depends company to company. Like not every company mm-hmm. is going to get the same amount of benefit. It depends what their setup is and, and how, you know, what their infrastructure is. And then you have to look at kind of what you think, how they're going to perform relative to their market cap. Mm-hmm. So like Columbia Care, for example, has like a 250,000 foot facility coming online. They've got one of the lowest market caps in the game right now. So they, once that facility you know, starts producing, they should have a really outsized return relative to their market cap. Okay. So it, it depends case by case is what I'm getting at, but for um, sure. But my, my but, thing is, you know, my, my thing is, will right, that right. be, re- how, how quickly will it take to, to, to be realized? Yeah. Right? I, look, the reality is who knows, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if there's no uplisting and, but more importantly, if the sentiment stays negative, like, oh, nothing's going to happen with federal change, then that becomes like problematic, right? People mm-hmm. are not, like playing anymore for the uplisting. So they kind of ignore it. Right. Yeah. But remember we asked, um, we did the interview with Abner and we asked him about kind of how the market turns around. And he mm-hmm. said, I think it's a one by one market. I think as investors pay attention and they get involved, whether through debt or equity, they start paying attention and then they start mm-hmm. going, wow, there's a lot of good stuff here. So the point I'm getting to Abby is with New Jersey and New York, how many finance people live in New Jersey and New York? How many people are going to see lines around the block mm-hmm. for stores in New Jersey and start being, hey, who's that? Who's that Columbia Care company? Who's that Verano company? Who's that AYR company? Like, oh, these guys are publicly traded. Like what? So I, I think there's going to be beyond just the fundamentals. I think there's going to be um, acceleration of people paying attention to the industry when it's in their backyard. 
because Getting it becomes eyeballs. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes pretty undeniable when you see a lineup around the block and then you go there and an eighth is $60 plus tax. And you're like, holy crap, these guys must be making money hand over fist. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, look, listen, the, 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 the parallel that I'm going to draw to that, again, this is just being playing devil's advocate to talk about sentiment right now. Um, and it's two completely different markets. The parallel that I'm going to draw to that is look, look at Toronto, right? Um, okay. We have dispensaries that have been operating for almost two years. Um, you know, they're, they're not doing, they're not doing as well as the forecasts for New Jersey. Um, but they were also forecasted to, to do that. Well, there are lines that are going around the block. These are publicly traded companies, but they're not getting the same love. And I know it's completely different in terms of apples and oranges, because we're talking about, you know, completely different government regulations, uh, and, uh, more favorable, uh, um, legislation, sorry, more favorable mm-hmm. rules down in New Jersey, as opposed to Canada and Canada has mm-hmm. a whole bunch of issues, yada, yada, yada. Um, but my thing is it might not be enough to turn the sentiment because I really feel we lost mass appeal in uh, cannabis. Right. So talk, so talk about that. What, what do you think happened? Yeah. So, and so l- l- let me first uh, say what I like, what I mean by losing mass appeal, right? Because sure. there are people like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this podcast are like, no, that's a, that's outrageous. We did. We haven't lost po- mass appeal, but we are a very, very, very niche segment. Totally. Right? Our niche group of group of investors. We actively totally. seek, the, the good and the bad of cannabis, right? But like, if you talk to, I, I had a buddy of mine, actually my, my first friend who, one of my first friends, who first got ever me, friend, <laughs> yeah, who got me to start investing in cannabis, right? And okay. I think it was like Aurora or one of the, yeah, I think it was ACB, yeah. Um, uh, who, who got me into investing. He mm-hmm. does not invest at all in cannabis. Like I talked to him mm-hmm. a little while ago. He's like, oh, you're still investing in cannabis? He's like, wow, man, you must have lost a lot of money. <laughs> And I was like, well, yes, but <laughs> did you, how did you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he was one of the early investors. And I was like, oh, like, I kind of walked him through everything. He's like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't know all this was happening. I was like, man, like you were like the person who got me under this. What are you investing in now? And he's taught he's investing in a whole bunch of other things. And I'm just like, well, why? Like if that kind of sparked the whole maybe retail isn't as interested. And if you talk to a lot of people who aren't really in cannabis, they still don't really know much about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And you look at some of the people who stayed in a little bit longer and I found that a lot of people got burned, right? Maybe because they, you know, in, they entered into the, I know type investments because you and I both remember pitch decks from 2018, 2017, 2018, even 2019, where it was like, we are going to do this. We're going to get our license on this day. This is what the market is going to be. You know, it's a $6 billion market in Canada by 2019, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And obviously that didn't happen, but a lot of people lost a lot of money. Um, and they weren't, as passionate or as enthusiastic as we are about this industry. So they were, they were just in it to, in, in it to make a return, which is perfectly fine. Right. Because so am I. Um, and I feel like they went, when they got that, when they got burned and they couldn't explain why they got burned or why the numbers didn't mm-hmm. work out because you know, they, maybe they didn't do the due diligence. They might, they, they sort of left. Right. And I mm-hmm. feel like those people haven't kind of come back in. And that's a, a very specific group of people that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. Um, and so that yeah, sentiment has sort of, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and, and you're broadly talking about a lot of Canadians. Like that, yes. to me, yes. what you're saying fits perfectly for not only Canadian retail, but Canadian institutional. Getting very mm-hmm. excited about the space, putting money in, getting burned, getting out. That's why we say with the US, there's a lot of virgin capital there. There's people who have never touched cannabis. Maybe they looked at it a little bit in, in 18 or 19 with the Bonanza. Uh, you know, maybe they touched it a little bit earlier this year in the February GameStop, you know, craziness. But for the most part, 
institutional investors in the U.S. have not looked, have not touched the space at all. Let's say maybe they've looked at it, but they haven't touched it. Yeah, they haven't entered into it. Um, and so even with that, even with that like caveat of positivity there, uh, and add in all the other catalysts that we know, right? I f- I feel like my level of uncertainty for cannabis has has never been higher, and okay. I, and I don't know what it is. Right? It could just be because the last six months things have just been trending down, numbers have been going up. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm a lot more apprehensive when I'm making investments now. Sure. Right? And, and what? So and, so what does that actually mean? How does that apprehensiveness manifest itself? It's that, that's a that's a great question. So um, I sort of looked at the most mature markets that we have, right? The top two markets are okay. California and Colorado in terms of mm-hmm. sa- by, by sales. And the, and the third one obviously is, uh, is Florida. Um, so let's just, let's take Florida out of this one just for these two. But when I look at California, when I look at Colorado, you know, I did that episode with Hirsch. I chatted with him. I've talked to him quite a, uh, he, he's just a guru when it comes to the golden coast as mm-hmm. uh, sort of I coined it for him. Um, and he really broke down the nuances of the sector. He was very enthusiastic. He knew about all the catalysts. Uh, he knew he 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 knew where the fragmentations lied. He knew where to sort of uh, where to uncover some opportunities. And I talked to a couple people ab- about California, and basically the sentiment was, "Nah, so what? Mm-hmm. You know, margins suck. It's too competitive. It's unfavorable regulations. They might do good. There's there's other things that are out there. Sure, right. And so I look at that. I look at the, I look at a mature market that's extremely the, where the total addressable market is extremely large. Yes, the regulations don't make sense, but they are getting more favorable. But that's not even enough to sort of re-excite or reignite people who have left the cannabis space, right? So for me, it's like, okay, look, you know, how long is it going to take before people start really looking at California, right? Right. And so it's like when I'm when I'm making an investment now, it's like, how long is it going to take before people really start looking at cannabis in general? Because going back to what JP had said, well, what if these catalysts never manifest? And, you know, these are just phenomenally like well-run companies, but I can't get any liquidity onto them. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And with California, I mean, you know, even if you have a good brand, a good company, et cetera, people just aren't making money in California. I mean, it's it's the market seems to be getting worse, not better with uh, a serious oversupply issue right now. Mm-hmm. And even a company you look at like th- that I like and uh, you know I've, I've been an investor in is Next Green Wave. Um, and small company but has been highly profitable, you know, not only EBITDA but cash flow, you know, had a really tough Q2. And um, it just shows you like it it just shows you like a market like California even when you think it's getting better suddenly can turn and go the other way. Right. And and that makes people feel stupid. It makes people lose money and it makes people get fed up with the sector. Right. And that's that's why, you know, if, if you listen, my mantra has always been to try to pick and choose markets that I feel like I have a decent understanding of. Right. And then that's that's kind of how we get to Florida. Right, right, right. But before we get get to Florida, yeah, sorry, here, I do want to say, you know, going back to the whole uh, let's touch back on that whole Howard Marks memo of like, you know, the pundit saying this is the reason why mm-hmm. um, when I look at California, you know, I've talked to a lot of people uh, and some of the people who are like bearish on California, but bullish on cannabis are like, well, the reason why, and they say it with a lot of certainty, uh, is that, well, cannabis, had, or sorry, California had an extremely robust black market. Mm-hmm. You had the, you were competing with the rep black market and the East Coast didn't really have a black market. So we don't have to worry anything about that. Okay. Right? Um, which I, which, which, which I, I don't think is actually true. Well, right? these, look, the East Coast definitely has a black market, but it's, mm-hmm. the difference it's not. Is- yeah, in California, like the black market's in broad daylight. I mean, you can walk into a dispensary that's unlicensed, right? Yeah. I mean, th- those that does not exist in Chicago. Like there, there are no just you know black market dispensaries you can walk into. 
That's true, and doesn't and I don't think it exists in New York. I know. Yeah, New York, I'm I'm a little less sure about because I know there's like weed trucks and stuff rolling around, but <laughs> so New York might be a, a little more like California, but like you know other states like like it, like Illinois, for example, like you know Florida, like th- these places do not have. Unlike the same, yeah, yeah, the same, the same level of black market that California has. Totally, but, and that's definitely a contributing factor to why California has been difficult. But that's not the end all, be all factor. It's right? one of them, yeah, sure. It's one of them, and so you know, when you talk to people and they say with the with utmost certainty that this is the reason why California has been difficult, it kind of makes you think about okay, well, maybe New York and New Jersey might not be as good, and that sort of refuels my apprehension. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's a good thought. Um, I, I, I think, it might be a little too pessimistic. Don't get me wrong. I, I fully sure. understand that, right? I fully do understand that. Uh, I am still very optimistic on, on, on the space, as you guys know. I yeah. put a lot of money into it, and I still have a lot of money, and I'm continuing to put more money. I don't know why, but... Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but let's just round out the point. So, okay, you're apprehensive. You're looking at it. You're nervous about, look, what if these markets look more like California than we think? So what do you actually do? Do you do you take more time? Do you ask more questions? Do you invest less money? Like, how does it actually manifest? fast. Yeah. So I, I definitely do take more time. And so right now, because it's a bear market, time is kind of on my side, right? I don't know when this is going to turn around or if it's going to turn around, whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. It goes into it. Do I ask more questions? Absolutely. Um, but more important than asking the questions, I analyze the answers a lot better. Hmm. I don't take answers at face value. Okay. Right. And that's sort of a, a, a big um, evolution in my way of looking at um not just this sector, but any sector in general. Right? Okay. And, I, and I learned that from getting burned in cannabis uh, because you will meet people who are very well decorated, who mm-hmm. have um, you know, been doing this for a long time, unreal track records, and they speak with confidence. And they'll tell you, okay, this, this is going to happen A, B, and C. And you're like, you know what? It, it, there's a high probability of it if it actually happening. It, it's got to happen. And you put your money into it and it doesn't happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's sort of what the whole theme of this sort of episode is. And so to round out that point, how I'm sort of alleviating this, um, alleviating my apprehension towards investing or buying more time, et cetera, is really diving into the answers that I'm hearing Mm -hmm. and looking at it from and and, and comparing my notes. Right. I'm trying to understand the market in a better way than just looking at it on a screen. Like I'm calling people, asking them, Hey, Mm. let me talk to this person. Oh, what did, what did trim cost for you guys this time? Okay. This person said this. Oh, but this person said this, the average doesn't really work out to what's being shown on this fact book that I downloaded. Right. Right. So right. Something's wrong here. Something's not making sense. Exactly. I'm questioning. I'm trying to find out, okay, like, you know, who's lying and who doesn't have all the information and, you know, like who's just making broad assumptions. Right, right. So what you're talking about, if you take a step back, you're talking about actually doing like ground level due diligence. So not just kind of taking whatever you're hearing online, but actually building connections, talking to companies, talking to people, and trying to figure out what's going on on the ground. Mm-hmm. And this actually goes beautifully into the next point, which is about Florida, which is, you know, Florida has been a market that's been phenomenal for me personally, done really well in Florida. Um, it, you know, could have done even better if I didn't sell truly at the wrong time, but I, I live with that mistake. But you we know, all do, Manish. We yeah. all do. You know, you, you've told us all so many times that we're like, oh, I wish he had sold. Yeah, I wish he had held. Yeah, we get it. We get it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but the the point being that, like, with Florida, a couple months ago, you know, when when I was spending some time with Cureleaf, I was like, hey, are they gonna? What's going on with them? And I started watching their menus, and I was like, wow, they're pricing 
starting to get pretty aggressive. Like these these huge sales seem to be happening every week. And, you know, I think we were one of the first people to start calling it a price war and say, look, there's a price war going on in Florida. Mm -hmm. And for a while, it was kind of ignored. It was kind of like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. But also, we didn't know how deep it was going to go. Well, you found that website, right? You found that like... Yes, that dispensary (laughs) discount finder for the patients. Which, Uh, which, which, you know, you didn't even know if it was real or not, like if it was actually legitimate. No, I mean, look, it's it's an aggregator. You can go and verify all these on your own, right? I mean, you can go on the Mm -hmm. websites and check. Um, but what, what I didn't know was, are these just one-time discounts or are these, they're going to keep doing these again and again and again, right? And now in Q3, it's pretty obvious that this was like, this is, seems to be the new reality. So the, the point being that even the markets that we think we figured out, even the markets that were like, close your eyes and Florida is like as good as it gets, um, even they can change, right? If only one or two operators, Curaleaf and Liberty Health in this case, decide to do aggressive discounting. And so, yeah. so we try to keep an eye, not only on the, like, just because we think we understand a market doesn't mean we can just give up on it, right? We have to keep checking on it. And I think you're going to start to see like Pennsylvania might not that to the same degree, but you might start seeing some of the same pricing competition in Pennsylvania. So we have to watch out for this just to understand, like to your point, Abby, if you, if you pay attention to the ground level data, you can kind of see ahead, the, see ahead of the curve and people with a lot of exposure to PA or Florida might start seeing some pricing compression or some margin compression going forward. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a hundred percent accurate. Um, my thing was tying this back into the whole California market was that, mm-hmm. uh, everybody I would talk to would be like, well, obviously markets mature and they're going to turn into sort of, sort of what California is looking at, look, looking like. Right. Um, and then that's why goes back into the whole apprehension of investing. And even in these new markets is that, okay, how, uh, what stage is this market in? Right. And, and it's right. finding that data that's been extremely difficult mm-hmm. um, and extremely time consuming. And, you know, it's going to come with time. And fortunately for me right now, we, we have that time because the, the things haven't moved. But I just want to make sure that I'm well positioned for when, when they do move. Right. And going back to California, for example. So, you know, when you go to this, I don't know school, you go like, first of all, will this turn around in California? It may, it may not. Like, it just may be that pricing stays low for a very long time. And this is like a hobbyist business where there's so many kind of growers that it's very hard for anybody to make a profit in California. That that could be the case, right? But on the other hand, then you start asking yourself, okay, like, like if people, like if some of these lower cost growers start changing and getting out of the business, right? They're like, look, we can't, this is not sustainable for us, especially with 280E. Like, let's just get out of this game. And you start seeing, you know, more municipalities opening up and the sales go up like Hirsch talked about, mm-hmm. you know. Then what happens to the California, like is, I guess what I'm getting at is, you know, if California can turn around, how low do the valuations of the California players have to get before you start getting really excited, right? Before you start getting interested again, let's say that, let's say it that way, right? Because when and if interstate commerce does come, you know, which is probably years away, those growers are going to be interesting again. Right. As California gets better, it becomes interesting again. And then the MSOs at some point will probably want to, you know, buy in California a footprint, which is, you know, difficult to recreate. So you start kind of saying, okay, you look at it on both sides. Like when people are getting too negative on something too, you start kind of going in and saying, okay, like, where's the opportunity? When does this become an interesting opportunity to me? Right. And and one thing that I'm trying to look at is, yes, when does this become an, uh, an interesting opportunity to me? But also how do I see this playing out? Right. right. Like, like you said, you know, the growers do like, you know, if, if interstate commerce happens or when interstate commerce happens, um, 
will the MSOs kind of come into the state? Okay. Well, when do I think that's going to happen? Well, can I outlive, you know, Warren Buffett has that very famous quote. Um, it says the market can act irrational longer than you can say solvent. Um, I think, I think that I might've paraphrased it, but you get what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. And that's, how, a, that's especially true. Like when you're an exactly. operator in California paying two eighty taxes, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Right. If it takes five years for the MSOs to show up as buyers. Well, well think about it this way. You're yeah. growing, imagine you're an operator. Mm-hmm. And you're growing the top, one of the top strains mm-hmm. consistently. You've developed an unreal brand, but you're in California and mm-hmm. you are like five times cheaper than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. That's frustrating. Because yeah, you're doing totally. everything right, but just kind of given. Anyways, that, that's sort of where all this sort of stems from. Yeah. And, and again, that's what's happening in Canada as well, right? Where you have great growers growing mm-hmm. good flour, sometimes at pretty good prices, like $50 an eighth Canadian. With, that's all in with taxes. Um, but you just can't get enough share, enough scale to be mm-hmm. profitable. Exactly. Right? So it's, it's, and Abby, back to your point about, hey, what about all these dispensaries in Toronto? Um, well, you know what? If they had never opened up the licensing in Toronto to be unlimited, a lot of those dispensaries would have still probably been good businesses. Where, and at one point, when they were super limited, there were lines around the block for these dispensaries. And, you know, I bet there was a lot of investor appetite flowing into, you know, whether it was buying the real estate or buying the businesses or, or, you know, some way of participating. Um, And again, those guys have gotten burned, right? The the difference is like in New Jersey, for example, you're only going to have 36 stores. Like those are going to be phenomenally productive stores. And I think people are going to make a lot of money. The, the concern that we have is like if uplisting is super delayed and we're waiting, 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 uh, do the margins compress? Do the markets mature a lot over time? And do we start seeing a lot of, you know, uh, do we start seeing EBITDA start to slide backwards or the margins start to, the growth starts to slow and, and margins start to compress and it becomes less of a sexy story uh, than what we're experiencing this year? Right. So you're saying when uplisting happens, does this already become like, uh, an established industry as opposed to like, do we miss the emerging stage, the growth stage uh, in the capital markets from an uplisting perspective? Yeah. I mean, this is, we're in the Goldilocks stage right now where you're having huge top line growth mm-hmm. and your margins are actually expanding, right? When mm-hmm. people are operating at, you know, 30, 35, 40% EBITDA margins, those are, those are amazing, mm-hmm. probably world leading margins for capital markets right, right. now. If, if we uplist in five years, which I don't think is, I think we're going to get it a lot sooner than that. But if let's say it takes five years and your margins come down to 25, 30%, which is still quite good, but you're having margin deceleration and sales deceleration. How does the capital markets look at the industry then? Well, right? I don't know if sales, yeah, I guess sales decelerating, that means they're still growing, but they're growing, growing slower, slower. Though. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, let's say if you have that, then, you know, when the capital markets would probably look at this, like, okay, well now technological efficiencies will help increase those margins. Right. So I think Maybe you might miss the growth capital, but you might still get value investors who come in. And when the when when these companies get uh, capital, they might not. Maybe the way to add more margin is not just to increase, add another store, right? It might right. be, hey, we have to improve our technology one way, shape, or form, right? Whether it's extraction, whether it's packaging, etc. The game changes basically. The game changes. Your yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. I, I hear you. But keep in mind, like as you grow your base of revenue, and your that number gets in absolute terms larger and larger. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're now where the biggest companies are generating over a billion dollars of sales, right? Mm-hmm. Huge, mm-hmm. huge numbers. And they're pink uh, sheet listed. And they're, and they're pink sheet listed. <laughs> and, but, you know, New Jersey, for example, 
you only have three stores in a grow. So even if you kill it in New Jersey and you do 150 million of top line, right? You're not going to double your revenue, right? You're mm-hmm. gonna you're gonna add very profitable, um, you know, revenue because like let's say you're at 40 or 50 percent EBITDA out of that. Yeah, state. you're growing from a larger. Yeah, base. right, and that just optically becomes more challenging, right? right. So, so that's sure. something we're going to have to deal with as we go forward. I don't think it's at the end of the world, um, but I think it's important to think about. And and then yeah. before we go on to the questions, just last point to talk about sentiment. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, you know, I don't think anybody is. People are now so depressed on the federal change side, and they're completely ignoring this CAOA, which just they just stopped taking public comments like a couple of weeks ago, right? They still have to work through all these comments now. Uh, and when people are pricing in like, oh, this thing is dead, there's no change that's going to happen, and then maybe not for years, I was like, I kind of like that, right? Whereas when people are getting really excited that it's for sure going to happen through the NDAA, for example, you know, that's less attractive to me, right? Although today the prices are so low, you're still getting good value. Um, you're trying to figure out, you know, the the truth in the middle, right? Like what, where is this kind of going to go? But now if we just fast forward to the end of the year, uh, there is really a chance here that things get ugly again because, you know, it's very unlikely SAFE gets through the NDAA in the Senate. So people get depressed again. And then we have this tax loss selling season coming up, which which Alan Broxley has been pointing out, which I think is a great a great mm-hmm. point, which is that people have a lot of gains from earlier in the year. This was a really, really good year. And then a lot of lo- unrealized losses from later in the year. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so you start looking at what are the stocks that are down a lot. Cannabis stocks are down a lot from February. So mm-hmm. they are a perfect place to harvest tax losses to offset your gains. Right. So again, never know what's going to happen in the short term. But what I worry about is people who are getting excited right now about the NDAA, you know, does that door flip for them when it doesn't actually happen in November, whenever it actually passes? And then combined with tax law selling and, you know, potentially hedge funds shorting it and, you know, whatever, playing their games, um, do we get into some really negative periods, right? Yeah. And and my way of combating that basically, by the way, is I reloaded my account with some cash. I've been kind of nibbling at some of the names we've talked about. But I'm saving a good chunk of the cash I have, which is not huge in relation to my portfolio, but I'm saving it just to see how the end of the year goes and try to be patient in deploying it. When you're saying you reloaded your, your account with cash, I mean, did you put more cash in or did you crystallize some? some no, reloaded as in I brought in new capital. I brought, oh, okay. in, brought in new money. It was like, okay, yeah. like I'm ready to play with this chunk of money, but I'm kind of trying to be patient with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, let's, Abby, unless you have any final thoughts, let's get into the questions. Yeah, let's let's move on. Okay, so we've got two questions to, to round it out. Um, the first one comes from a longtime friend of ours. Well, he goes by the name iGuy. Uh, very tuned into the space. Uh, he deployed a lot of money, and he you know recently uh, took on some uh, more funds to deploy. And he's got a little bit of money left now, right? Plus some mm-hmm. income coming in. So he's trying to figure out what do I do with this last slug of money? Okay, and he's saying I'm agonizing over the last little bit. Um, which is, which is, I love it because when you have only a little bit of money left, you really think twice about every decision, mm-hmm. which is what we should be doing when we have a lot of money too, but we don't, it doesn't always, <laughs> doesn't always work out that way. No. So, uh, he goes, look, his top options are basically, do I, do I sprinkle it between, you know, my favorite companies or maybe should I just start buying MSOS, the ETF in totality? And, and he had a really interesting point about, look, maybe the ETF is actually better for the average person. 
because from uh from a like a psychological standpoint you're not sitting there watching every stock go up or down you're just kind of averaging into the etf and from a stress perspective and from trying to time the bottom perspective it's a lot easier yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. It's a great strategy that he's got already. One thing I would obviously say, if you don't mind me answering yeah, go for it. My, my thoughts, one thing that I would say is that you have to look at overlap in your portfolio, right? Like what if you already own most of the names that MSOS has? Mm. Now you're double exposed. So really take that into consideration. Correlation is something that you should be be very uh, cognizant of. Mm-hmm. How I would do this if I were you, and again, you know, this is not financial advice. You guys obviously know that. <clears throat> this is just somebody who doesn't know anything telling you what he would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would look at, I would look for states that I don't have exposure to. Um, and I would try to get into those states as long as those states were, hadn't had favorable catalysts coming in. That's how I would look at, look at this. And that's actually, you know, I got, that's exactly what I'm doing right now with my portfolio. Um, hence why I've been very apprehensive to make any investments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I would say, look, I actually like the idea that maybe, just investing a certain amount in the ETF is better for some people than trying to pick and choose the winners and trying to reallocate, right? I mean, look, that's what we do, but people can see the amount of thought and work we put into it. And it sometimes is, like he's saying, it's like agonizing over it, over little Mm -hmm. details of it. I mean, Abby going and finding the price of trim, right? And using that to try to make decisions. I mean, that is- And distillate and wholesale and retail distillate. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's like, so that's not necessarily- that's probably not going to be the right strategy for everybody to go do that kind of groundwork and try to figure it out, especially with the values of where things are trading today. I think there's a lot of merit to letting MSOS make your picks for you, you know, giving them the money, averaging into it and not thinking about it so much. I mean, that yeah. probably is a really good strategy for a lot of people. For sure. And keep in mind that MSOS is sort of the barometer for for the U.S. sector, right? For the U.S. cannabis sector. So if you mm-hmm. feel that over time, this is going to do great and you want exposure to everything, it's a great way to invest. But always, you know, like anything else, like 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 you look, go through a company's balance sheet, go through MSOS's top holdings and see if you already own those names because you don't want to be double exposed. Yeah, right. I mean, something to think about, right? And then if, and then indiv- individually, if, you know, you are somebody who at the very least know, understands market caps and valuations on fully diluted share accounts, not the Yahoo Finance number, once in a while, you do get these opportunities where some companies are just trading, you know, way out of whack with the market for, you know, the idiosyncratic company reasons, right? So Verano with their huge share unlock, right? Like stuff like that, that just creates windows of opportunities that allow you to kind of pick and choose rather than going broadly. And mm-hmm. that might be worth it. Or with a certain part of your portfolio, a certain percentage, you can say, look, I'm going to try to you know, be a little more creative and try to pick and choose. Uh, but I don't think there's anything. I actually think it's a good strategy. If I talk to somebody who's not dialed in and not willing to dig in, I will always tell them about MSOS. I will never start telling them about, you know, the big five or this or that, because I know they're not going to pay attention to it. I know they're, it's right. going to it's gonna probably end up with them buying Sundial or Freer or something. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just better to put them in to tell them about MSOS. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Okay, last question is from Charles. Um, Charles, uh, kind of longtime investor. He's thinking really hard about allocations, and he has a bunch of gains from early in the year he wants to offset with losses. And uh, again, I, I think Alan Broxstein on 420 Investors done a great job of highlighting this for people. Uh, it's going to be very relevant, especially this year. 
uh, especially if you know people do get a little negative on the sentiment with SAFE and NDAA. Uh, but so I, I think that's a great thing to think about. Um, you know, if you have gains, think about offsetting them with losses. I have no problem with this, by the way. Like I, I have no problem with taking a, a loss, especially if I have some somewhere else to move it to. Um, some people just take the loss and wait 30 days and buy it back. Right. And, and I don't know how it works for everybody, but in Canada, we can do that. Um, I believe in the US too. Uh, now, on allocation, his question was within the sector, how do you think about approaching names that look super cheap, maybe more speculative plays uh, or value plays versus bigger names that you really like, like sector leaders? So I'll put two names on here. Um, I'll put like for a, a super value name, someone like Columbia Care, right? That's that's trading at, you know, maybe one, close to one and a half billion value, but has one of the biggest footprint in the industry, right? And great exposure to Virginia, New York, New Jersey. Um, so a lot of future upside there, right? But in, in the interim, a lot of capital needs. Uh, how do I balance that with a bigger player like a GTI or a Verano? Um, and, and I think... I think that's really individual preference. Like for some people, it's going to be like, look, just don't play around, go right down the middle and, and go for sort of, you know, the easier two, three, four X, as opposed to trying to hit the 10 bagger. Right. But I I think it really depends on your individual tolerance and how well you feel you understand the companies. Um, One thing I try to look for is, Hey, I really like you know, this market, New Jersey, for example, who's really well positioned in that market and who's going to have the most impact to their valuation from just that one market flipping, right? So Columbia Care to me comes up as, as a great example. Um, you know, TerraSend also is an example of really being really exposed to New Jersey, mm-hmm. but already having a significant market cap. So not necessarily a value pick as opposed to like a Columbia, right? So like, that's just an idea of how I think about it. Um, whereas the bigger players, you're going to still get that exposure, but not the same pop. But then they also get higher multiples because they're bigger companies and they don't have to do capital raises um, to fund these projects, right? So there's no real good answer, in my opinion. It's it's really a nuanced kind of uh, digging in into the name and figuring out what and when and why and you know how much to put into it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um I'm not going to comment on any specific names uh, for 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 uh, for that particular person, um, but I would say one one name that I've actually started looking at more and more that I found pretty interesting uh, is actually Bam. Um, and, and the reason I say that is um, I started looking at their their um, their footprint in terms of states that they won, mm-hmm. uh, and they've just and this is just one that I've just started, so you know I, I can't go too deep into it. Um, and I don't like mentioning names that I can't like obviously go too deep into. Mm-hmm. Um, but just sort of going to through what you were saying, um, they they just got an Illinois license uh, recently, and, and mm-hmm. enough. There, there's a lot of laws, a lot of positives going for that company. I don't own I don't own the company right now at all, um, and I think they're doing a raise. But uh, that, that's sort of how they came across my desk, and I was just yeah, looking so, at it. Yeah, so so I'll just give you two quick two seconds on that. It's like I. I'd say in today's market, I'm more careful on really smaller names. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people like names that are really small from an absolute perspective, like their their stock price is kind of below a dollar. People feel like there's a ton of upside there, right? Well, if, the market if, cap too, right? Right. But that's my point is people don't look at the fully diluted market cap. They look at the share price. Okay, gotcha. Right? And they go, oh, this is a 20 cent stock. If it ever gets to $2, like, wow, there's a 10 bagger right there, right? But the thing to understand um, and I, I don't know body and mind particularly well. I did a, a tour of their facility back a couple of years ago, but they seem like good operators. But 
even if you have a decent asset in Ohio and a decent asset in Illinois, you're not, you don't have scale in those states, right? So it becomes very difficult to actually become cash flow positive, even if you're a great operator. And then in order to you know, build out those things, you need a lot of capital. And so it becomes, in my opinion, a tough story because you have to do really dilutive raises with warrants or whatever in order to just keep, keep the lights on because it's hard to get scale and hard to be profitable. So I like companies that are at or near cash flow positivity, mm-hmm. especially in a soft market. And with the little companies, um, you know, if if they're, it, it, it's a trickier story to me, I guess, is is to Ab, you know, to Abby's earlier story. I'm a lot more apprehensive and careful, super selective on those smaller stories um, than I would be in the past. Well, I'm glad I asked you about it. Now I know <laughs> what to look for. <laughs> okay, uh, last last uh, thought before we, we wrap up here is. Um, uh, we're coming on to October here. We're going to have MJ Biz coming up. Uh, this is the first. I've never been to MJ Biz before. We usually do Benzingas, but this will be the first conference that we've had in a year and a half, if you can believe it. So I think it's going to be an awesome one. Both Abby and I are going to be there. Um, if you're going to be there, shoot us an email, cinpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll happy to meet up and grab a drink. If there's enough people, we might even set up um, a little meetup at you know one of the bars at a certain time so we can all have Pantheas of the win, you know, it's all on it's on, it's on Manisha's games. That's right. <laughs> Abby needs to to flex those unrealized losses. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, sh- shoot us an email. Uh, happy to meet up and we'll maybe even do a little group meetup if it if you know it makes sense. Um and and I guess Abby, any last thoughts you want to leave with people for the I don't know episode? Uh, I mean, look, listen, I, th- I think we did a very great job just sort of explaining our thought process in this episode. Um, you know, I don't want to, there, there throughout this whole episode, I did a lot of questioning. I don't want to come come across like negative or bearish at all. I still do truly believe in this, in the, in, in this sector. Um, I just think that, you know, uh, as it's maturing more and more, we've got to be very selective, uh, of how, not, not necessarily of the companies that we invest in, of like how we even start looking at companies. And we got to start mm-hmm. questioning every single number that you sort of get, uh, because I've been burned quite a bit, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the past little bit. And you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to be so trigger happy. That's the best way that I would put it. And I would, and I would all encourage you guys all to do the same. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but when people are being more cautious and they're taking their time more and they're, you know, thinking twice or three times or four times, that's where the best investment opportunities come. Right. I don't like markets where people are just throwing money at things, you know, and and being very trigger happy. I like markets when people are taking a breather and thinking more. Right. So because valuations come down, the deals get more attractive, you know, you get more upside for the amount of risk that you're taking. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of stuff that I like. Um, I would say that when people go from thinking they know everything to to the I don't know, like when they get that first shock, it can be really scary. But I actually think it's a great place to be. And I think it helps people make better decisions. So uh, hopefully that helps. Um, guys, podcast at gmail.com. Until next time. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. 
None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decision, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.